are passionate about what you're passionate about. And you give us courage to listen carefully to your specific calling to our lives. Uh, As we open up your word, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit might have free reign in this place, in our hearts, and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm not much of a, of a TV watcher. There's very few shows that make me come back week after week. But there's one show that, that uh, when it was in season, caught my attention and made me always think about where I was going to be on that night. Anybody else uh, watch The Amazing Race? Any Amazing Race watchers? Sure, there's a few of you there. That show caught my attention, and I ended up watching almost the whole season of it last time. Those of you who don't watch it, it's a show where, where there's about a dozen teams that start, teams of two, pairs of people, and uh, they travel all over the world, literally all over the world, racing to accomplish tasks and, and solve mysteries and puzzles, and every week one couple, one team gets, gets eliminated until there's just, just one victor. And they all have the same goal. They all have the same mission, because the winner gets a million dollars. So their mission is to get that million. Now, I don't get that million dollars sitting on the couch watching them. I wish I did. But it's fun anyways to see the culture and the world that they get to experience and, and maybe experience a little bit of it from the comfort of, uh, of my couch in the living room. But it's fascinating to see the passion and the drive that these people play the game with. They are truly passionate about winning that million dollars. And they'll do almost anything to get there. And maybe a little bit of that passion and drive is what we need to learn here at the church on the mission that God has given us, right? See, for this World Tour Month, our our theme is going to be on mission, right? Letting letting our life meet God's heart. And we have been, been dropped into, not the Amazing Race TV show, but I think every one of us has been dropped into the most amazing race by God. And what should stoke our passion, what should drive us and move us is is the grand prize of seeing God's kingdom grow through us, right where he's placed us, seeing it grow not only within us, but all around us as well. That's our mission, growing God's kingdom, especially in the hearts and the minds of people who don't know him, of people all around us day by day, who are living life lost, but don't know it. And yet, and yet many of us choose to sit back and watch others go around the world on mission. Kind of like an entertaining TV show, right? We hear stories of people who go all around the world, and we love to hear those stories, and, and we see people on mission right in the city around us, Um, reaching those in need. We watch our neighbors who desperately need God, but we don't get involved ourselves, right? We sit on the couch of life and we stay spectators and we never experience the thrill of the mission. Well, this month, all of us are going to be invited and challenged to take just one more step, just one next step in being part of this most amazing race that that God has dropped us into. We're going to be challenged and invited to both recognize where God has called us to be on mission 
has called you and me, maybe, maybe right in our own neighborhoods, in our office places, in our school classroom. We're also going to be challenged to recognize maybe where God has called us to partner with somebody else who's been called on a bigger mission, far away and needs partners in that process. We're going to learn during our World Series tour from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who went on three specific mission trips. And in between those, those major trips that he went on, he lived his life passionately on mission for the kingdom of God. Now, let me just tell you ahead of time that we aren't going to do with Paul's three missionary trips what I had to do in seminary. Right, for class, for my New Testament class, they made us memorize all the facts about these trips, right? What cities he went to, in what order, and who he went with, and who he met, and, and what happened there. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you do all that, because I promptly forgot all that right after the test, right? Although, although some pretty cool things happened, so take out the book of Acts sometime this month, read about what God does on those trips, I think what's more important for us, rather than being able to name all those facts, is to look at the motivations that sent Paul on mission, that kept him on mission. What is it that, that motivated his heart? What is it that, that shaped his life so powerfully that he would do what he did for Jesus? I think that's what we need to know for ourselves because it's when our hearts are moved by the mission, it's then that our lives will be shaped for God's kingdom. And let's be honest here right at the very start. Being on mission for God is not an easy thing. It's not always simple, it's not always fun, and it certainly isn't easy. It'd be easier to sit on the couch of life and watch others do it. Yet, yet the greatest joy possible comes from this mission, if any of you have ever had the privilege of, of being a part, being a link in that chain to draw somebody to Christ through the power of the Spirit, you know the joy. You know that there's nothing better than that. You also know the challenges, the heartbreaks, the sacrifices that come from being on mission for God. And if our hearts aren't moved by the mission, then our sinful nature will take over. We will just quit. We will drop out. Paul made the sacrifices. He stayed on mission no matter the cost. How did he do that? How can we stay in this most amazing race as well? Well, at the very start of this adventure, it's important to see that, that Paul had the advantage of having absolutely no doubt about his calling from God, right? He had no doubt at all of what God had called him to be and what God had called him to do, right? Many of you know his story, right? Here's, here's Paul, who is early in his life known as Saul, and Saul's mission in life is to destroy the church. He's anti-Jesus. He's anti-church. He's, he's hunting Christians down, throwing them in prison, killing them if he gets permission. And he's on his horse, and, and a bright light from heaven knocks him off of his horse. It's the light of the risen Jesus Christ who knocks him off the horse and speaks directly to him. And what's the word that Jesus speaks to him? The, the verb he tells him is go. Go into the city. I'll tell you what to do next. And from that moment on, God's mission for Saul, now known as Paul, because he gives him a brand new name, is to go. That's his purpose in life. 
God declares when he heads into Damascus. He says, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, before their kings, and before the people of Israel. This man's calling is to go. Go. Paul's given the mission to go. And you know what he does? He goes. He goes far away. He goes close by. He goes for Jesus in profound ways and in simple ways. He goes on this great adventure of growing God's kingdom all around. Advantage of knowing that calling so clearly. And you know what? Every single one of us here shares that very same advantage. Because there is no doubt about your calling and my calling. It's given to us as clearly as Paul's was from the light shining down from the sky, right? Jesus himself, our Lord and Master, the one who saves us, our rescuer, he tells us to go. Right, remember the ascension story? Jesus has risen from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven. He gathers the disciples together and he gives them one command. And it's a command not just for those gathered in that place, but for every disciple that's to follow, including you and me. And he says, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. Go, just like Paul. We share the very same on-mission calling. Know that. But knowing it is not enough. Because we also need to figure out what's going to get us up off the couch of life and go and be a part of it and join the race. What is it that helps us respond like Paul? Not with an intellectual yes, because I think we can all agree with an intellectual yes. Yes, I've been called by God to go. That's not hard to say. But what's the yes that's going to get us in the race? What's the yes that's going to move us to action? What's the yes that's going to give us the courage and the confidence in God to take our place in his kingdom mission? That's what we're going to experience over these next four weeks. We're going to look at four heart attitudes that moved Paul to be sold out for God's kingdom work. And there are four heart attitudes that that we need to cultivate in our hearts if we're going to join this mission, if we're going to be in this amazing race that God has called us to. And the first, and I think maybe primary heart attitude that Paul cultivated, that many of us still need to develop in our lives, is that willingness to sacrifice. Obedience to God's call to go in our lives means being willing to give up the things of this world to gain the things of God. It means being willing to to consciously place God's kingdom desires and purposes above our own personal kingdom desires and purposes. And you know, it's a lot easier to say that we will sacrifice for God's kingdom purposes while we sit here in this room than to actually do it. Let's just admit that up front. We like the thought of growing God's kingdom until God actually asks us to do it. We like encouraging others to go and and to sacrifice as long as we don't really have to do it ourselves. We do want God's kingdom to come, but we don't want it to cost us anything. 
I'm, uh, I'm partway through a book that one of you recommended I read. It's entitled Radical by David Platt. The subtitle is Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. It's really quite a good book. And um, this David Platt um, is a pastor, and he, um, he does mission work all around the world. He also planted a church in the inner city of New Orleans. So, so part of his job and task was to go to churches like ours on mission emphasis weeks, right? And, uh, and to speak to them about what's going on all around the world and to encourage them to be a part of God's kingdom. And he tells this story about, about one of the churches that he went to visit. I just thought I'd, I'd read his experience for you. He says, the next morning we arrived at the church building and the worship service began. The pastor rose to welcome everyone, and during his introductory remarks, he began talking about how thankful he was to be living in the United States. I'm not sure what sparked the rousing patriotic address that followed, but for the next few minutes, he told the church that there was no chance he would ever live anywhere else in the world. Amens were firing left and right from the crowd, engulfed in this nationalistic zeal. I was just waiting for Lee Greenwood to burst out in song. Minutes later, I got up to preach about going to all the nations with the gospel. When I finished, I walked down to the front while the pastor got up to close the service, and these were his words. Brother David, we're so excited about all that God is doing in New Orleans through you and through all, in, in all the nations. We're excited that you are serving there. And brother, we promise that we will continue to send you a check so that we don't have to go there ourselves. I remember a time in my last congregation when a missionary from Japan came to speak. I told the church that if they didn't give financial support to this missionary, I was going to pray that God would send their kids to Japan to serve with that missionary. And David writes, wow, did, did the pastor just threaten the congregation with the punishment of going to all the world? And he continues, and my church gave that man a laptop and a whole lot of money. Apparently the threat worked. Could it be that this pastor expressed what most professing Christians in America today believe but are not bold enough to say? This may sound a bit harsh, but consider the reality. How many of us are embracing the comforts of suburbia while we turn a deaf ear to inner cities in need of the gospel? How many of us are so settled in the United States that we have never once given serious thought to the possibility that God may call us to live in another country? How often are we willing to, to give a check to someone else as long as we don't have to go to the tough places and situations ourselves? How many of us parents are praying that God would raise up our children to leave our homes and go overseas, even if that means they might not come back? You know, I, think we, I think we chuckle at that story a little bit because... We realize it's not too far from reality here in our own lives, in suburbia, right? Obeying God's command takes a heart that's willing to sacrifice. There's a cost involved in going on mission and following Jesus' call to us. We like to think, we like to think it was easy for Paul, right? It's easy for Paul to pick up and go. He was some kind of superhero Christian, unlike the rest of us. He's not affected by the poles of this world. But the truth is that Paul himself made huge sacrifices. He gave up a lot 
to obey God's call. In fact, take out your Bibles with me if you don't have them out already. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's page 1140. Philippians chapter 3. In this chapter, Paul gives us a glimpse of his heart that is willing to sacrifice. I think we often forget, maybe we never really realized, who Paul was before Jesus got a hold of his heart. See, Paul was living out the very definition of success according to his culture that day. I want you to listen to how he describes himself, starting in the middle of verse 4 of Philippians chapter 3, at that paragraph break. Paul says this, he says, If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Okay, pause there for a moment. The, these descriptions that we just read that Paul goes through, they, they probably don't mean a whole lot to you. Bro, they don't mean a whole lot to me. But for the first century people who would be reading this letter, they would recognize this paragraph. They'd recognize that Paul was a rock star in his culture. This list makes him a rock star. He came with great pedigree. He came with great privilege. He came with great, great achievements. And Paul was a rising star of all the, the up-and-coming religious leaders. And remember, religious leaders of that day were also political leaders, were also cultural leaders. They were superstars. They held a spectacular amount of power and respect and authority and honor. And Paul, according to this list, was a slam-dunk candidate for whatever office he wants to run for. He is the rising rock star of that culture well along the path to becoming a cultural celebrity with all the benefits that it would bring. And he walked away from it all. He gave it all up. He sacrificed a future that anybody in this first century culture would die for. And he sacrificed it all because Jesus got a hold of his heart. And Paul began to define success according to God's definition of success, not according to his culture's definition of success. Paul realized that success as defined by the world, success according to the path that he was traveling on and he was pursuing, was failure apart from God. Failure. And, you know, I'm sure intellectually most of us here would agree with that. Success of this world apart from God means nothing, right? We'd intellectually agree with that. But, man, that's hard to live out because there's other successes in life that again and again take priority over the successes that Jesus calls us to, over kingdom successes. Right? But, but listen carefully as we... As we keep reading, listen to the truth that settled deeply into Paul's heart. I want you to listen to his definition of success in verses 7 through 11. But as, as you listen, as you read along, I want you to think about, ask yourself, if you could say these same things, if you could write this for your own heart and your own life, is this the truth that's at the core of your life and your decisions and the choices that you're making every day?
Listen to what he says. He says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. What this world says is profit, Paul says. All the things this world values so highly, I now consider loss. The things that this world values, the, the popularity, the financial success, the, the athletic success, the academic prowess, the, the perfect little family with children and grandchildren, the comfortable retirement, the, the cool trips and vacations, all those things that this world says are important, Paul says, I call them trash, rubbish, garbage, worthless compared to knowing Jesus. Paul comes to the conclusion here that there is nothing in this world that he wouldn't give up, nothing in this world that he wouldn't walk away from for the cause of Jesus Christ. For Jesus' sake, he's willing to lose all things. And I'll tell you, that's a definition of success that I need to work on. Because there's a whole lot of earthly successes that I truly value, that I'm pursuing. There's a lot of priorities that this culture says are important that are competing with, God, with what God is telling me is important. And my heart needs to learn to define success according to God and not culture. Otherwise, I will never be able, I'll never be willing to give the sacrifice necessary to be on mission for God. Being willing to sacrifice the things of this world for the cause of Jesus won't happen. It can't happen until, like Paul, we begin to value Jesus more than anything. More than anything. And Paul, Paul made this truth very, very practical for us to see. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you don't have to turn there right now. You can read it later if you want. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists the sacrifices that he made for the cause of Jesus Christ. Practical life sacrifices. He proved that he valued Jesus more than popularity and more than acceptance when he chose to follow Jesus over, over the approval of his countrymen and friends and even his family who turned their backs on him. He proved that he valued Jesus more than his own reputation when he chose to become a regular visitor of the inside of jail cells for the cause of Jesus Christ. He proved that he valued Jesus more than his comfortable life when he turned his back on the lifestyle that he knew, when he walked away from his home knowing it would never be home again, 
And he chose a life where he would experience days without sleep. He would experience hunger. He would experience thirst. He would experience the chill of homelessness. He proved that he valued Jesus more than the safety and security of life that you and I value so highly. When he set out on mission for God and he experienced, he listed, he said, I experienced danger from rivers. I experienced danger out on the sea. I experienced danger in the cities, in the countryside. I experienced danger from bandits who wanted to rob me and from former friends who want to kill me. And he proved that he valued Jesus more than his very own life. He lists all the things he was, willing to, he was willing to do. He said, I was shipwrecked out on the open sea for 24 hours, certain I would die, and I did it for Jesus. I was stoned and left for dead. He said, five times I was whipped with 39 lashes. They give you 13 on your chest, flip you over, and do 26 on your back. It often comes to the close of death. And he said, I did it five times for Jesus. I was beaten with rods three times for the cause of Jesus Christ, and he ultimately is executed in Rome. For Paul to live as Christ, to die as gain. I mean, look, look at that list. It's the same list of things that we value today. Look at that list for your own life and ask yourself, which of those do you value more than you value Jesus? It's easy to say none of them, and you know that's the right answer, right? My guess is none of them isn't the honest answer. Which of these hold you back from going far away if Jesus were to call you to go far away? Which of these would hold you back from going nearby if Jesus calls you to go and knock on your neighbor's door, talk to your coworker, your classmate? Which of these on, on this list keeps you from giving that invitation to that friend? Which keeps you from living a life that's boldly obvious for Jesus Christ? Which of, these, which of these on this list maybe keeps you from being the answer to a missionary's prayer who's, who's wanting to go but needs the support to be able to go? Which of these do you value more than you value Jesus? Paul sacrificed them all. He valued nothing more than Jesus. But, but before you feel badly for Paul, when you look at this, oh, poor Paul, look at all he had to give up, he's not looking for your sympathy. He's not looking for you to feel badly for him because he doesn't feel badly at all for giving all that up because the prize that he received, he says, is worth whatever you give up. He received God's well done as he fulfilled his calling and his purpose. He received the joy that comes from experiencing God's kingdom growing through him in awesome ways. He received the assurance of salvation with Jesus, and he experienced a growing taste of heaven here on this earth. He doesn't want your sympathy. He celebrates. That's the prize that he is pressing for. That's the goal that's worth anything that this world says is too valuable to give up. Too valuable to give up for God. What would that be for you? What's too valuable for you to give up for God? We have a theological word for those things. You know what we call them? We call them idols. They're called idols. 
Is your comfort too valuable for you to give up for God? If it is, then it's your idol. Is your money too valuable for you to give up for God? If it is, then it's your idol. What about your fear? What about your reputation? Your popularity? What about your your nuclear family that you love to get together with so often, your children, your grandchildren? What about your traditions? What is it that's keeping you from saying yes to God? Because you know what? Jesus was put in the very same position as you and me. God the Father called his son to go. He said, I want you to go. Go down to that earth and make disciples. And you know what Jesus did? He went. Nothing was more valuable to Jesus than obeying God's call to go. And he sacrificed everything and he came to us with the good news of salvation. Right, Philippians 2, just a chapter earlier from what we read, Paul says your attitude, your attitude, mine, should be the same as Jesus who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing. Taken on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Nothing was too valuable to give up for Jesus to save you, to save me, to obey God's call to be on mission for his kingdom. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. He gave us all, and now as Paul imitated Jesus, out of gratitude for his salvation. Now we imitate Jesus out of gratitude and we go. And we let God use us for his kingdom and for his glory. We now teach our hearts to sacrifice for the one who sacrifices all for us. Would you pray with me? What a privilege, God, to be called on mission, to be used by you. You could could transform lives. You could bring your kingdom here onto this earth any way that you desire, and you chose to do it through us. You chose to empower us and to use us. Thank you for that honor. Forgive us for all the times that we choose not to be on this grand adventure that you called us to. Forgive us for all the times we choose to sit on the couch of life and to watch others go. Forgive us for all the idols in our lives that we value more than we value you. So Father, remind us again this morning and throughout this month of the privilege of being called to go and all the opportunities that you give to us. And may you convince and convict us to set aside the idols of our lives, to hear your call, and to go on that amazing adventure of ushering your kingdom here onto this earth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
I'd like to invite the worship team and the elders who are going to help serve communion to come on forward if you would. Because we have the privilege this morning 